We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at the series 11, is it? 37. Doctor Who. 37, that's better. I prefer that, even though it's had its 50th. We're, we're okay with 37. Um, episode of Doctor Who. Kerblam! In the vortex, something is on an intercept course for the TARDIS. Unable to avoid it, a Kerblam delivery robot materializes on the flight deck and delivers a package for the Doctor. Inside, a fez, clearly indicating the sender didn't have Kerblam Prime, and a note for help. The doctor and the gang decide to investigate. They arrive at the Kerblam headquarters, an entire moon converted to retail sales. Kerblam is the largest retailer in the galaxy, and while it's 90% automated, by law, they must employ 10% organics too. Posing as workers, they go undercover and soon discover that the organics are going missing. And they soon learn that evil doesn't come from soulless machines, but rather from the hearts of men. All right, kerblam! And and this is the first chance you and I have had a chance to to talk about uh, series thirty-seven. Indeed. So uh, let's let's just start with uh, what did you think of the episode uh, in general? I I I got some problems with the episode. Um, the episode in general was poor filler. I thought, but there were some more serious, serious problems with the actual plot itself. Hmm. Okay. I think, I think we may agree. The funny thing is, and maybe it was just the mood I was in, I kind of enjoyed it. It was a little bit fillery at times. I felt there were times where I I, I was kind of going along a little slow, but I enjoyed it, but I can't tell you why, because it's kind of not good. And I, (laughs) but I, you know, guilty pleasure me. I'm not using filler in a pejorative sense. There are filler episodes that I think are the best episodes because sometimes they create a sense of atmosphere and place. They have character moments and humour and they come in between the kind of awful series arc. Not that this necessarily applies to the Chibnall era, it's too early to say, but the awful kind of series arc episodes where the entire universe is in danger and filler episodes give you a chance to have something on a on a much smaller scale. So... They're not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that it didn't feel to me like this did very successfully create its sense of, of place. Or Interesting. I feel like this is probably the biggest threat that the Doctor has faced. Yes. In this series. Um, well, um, in, 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 in one sense, it's, it's big. Um, in the sense of the kind of... If you, if you had it on a fatality scale if you like. That's usually how I... <laughs> well, but the problem is, I, th- I think that is, that, that is how some writers see the way to increase the severity of the, of the kind of peril that our heroes face. Whereas I think what the most successful episodes in this season have done is to create a real sense of jeopardy by focusing more on the detail and the reactions of the characters to the situations that they're facing and making some of those dangers much more personal. Whereas because it felt to me like there hadn't, this hadn't really gelled in creating a sense of what it's like working. I mean, okay, let's cut to the chase here. We're talking about Amazon workers being exploited in massive dispatch warehouses. And yes. those kinds of jobs we know from the, you know, where journalists have gone in and, and done those work, that work and reported on it. We know those kind of jobs are pretty grim and pretty awful and undoubtedly you could write a, a kitchen sink kind of drama in which the actual the actual tension and suspense in the story arises from the situation itself and in order to do that in this sci-fi setting i think you have to be you have to create a kind of coherent encompassing world in which all of those details feel properly authentic so that you can actually share the same worries and concerns of those characters which might be about losing your job because if the consequences of that are your family starve or whatever then that's pretty awful because i don't think it was very successful in creating those things okay it, it feels like the well okay we'll make this a story about liquidizing people 
has been has been added in as a kind of alternative way of upping the jeopardy. But unless you make that feel like a real threat as well, it doesn't actually work. Okay, I I I have the questions here. You know, what is the message this show is trying to tell me? Is it that automation is bad? Is it that people are bad? Is it that <laughs> That boring jobs are bad? Is it? Is it just a satire? Uh, it, 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 I can't tell you who killed Dan or why well, or any of the missing people. Was it the system doing that to kill people so that the doctor would have something to investigate or, or that the executives would have something to investigate? Or, or, or I mean, it, that's what happened to Kira, right? The system, the system murdered Kira, Kira so Dan would feel bad. Not Dan. Uh, no, uh, Charlie. Right. Feel Charlie, Charlie would feel bad. So the system, even though the system was the one that was crying out for help, even though the system was the one that was trying to stop this senseless slaughter, the system was still just as culpable. It was, it was murdering people too. Um, did I, is that how this plays out? Uh, well, okay. So here we, here we go to my problem. I'm going to, I'm going to answer your question before I forget. I mean, I, it's not definitive on whether this is how Dan met his fate. But Charlie says, I needed test subjects to be sure the detonation forces would work. So he's been he's been killing the workers. Oh, okay. I missed that line. Well, the whole thing didn't make a lot of sense. Why did why did the system need to send a message to the doctor? I don't anyway, it's clearly got it's got pretensions of satire about it and I, I think you're right to ask those questions about what it's aiming at because there is an interesting and pretty topical area to explore around what what does automation do to an economy it, which is based on the whole idea of full employment and things like the, uh, universal basic income are, are, are now sort of being explored as as genuinely politically viable ideas in various places because some kind of uh, <laughs> not here but. well uh, it, yeah it, it's something you know it's <laughs> it's something that that's that's being talked about even in even within the main political parties in the uk and elsewhere in europe and it uh, it's a reasonable question if if <laughs> if if um if we're relying on full employment as a way of making sure that both the work is done and that there is some kind of equitable distribution of the fruits of people's labor then automation kind of undoes that because yes it's taking away people's jobs on the other hand what is automation doing it's doing is automation is doing the kind of jobs that we might not want to do so it's it's doing the work for us which is great but then what if that means we can't earn salary? So there are interesting questions around that and the, the whole kind of political responses and the, the 10% idea. I thought, wow, that's, you know, we could we could explore that. But this episode, A, doesn't really engage with any of these ideas. And then B goes off on this whole separate tack where it doesn't, it, it ends up with the doctor basically saying the system isn't a problem, which... Uh-huh. It kind of it, it is it is the problem or it is a problem and that would be the case even if the system weren't murdering people in order to make a point that it's bad to murder people which yeah that's always the best way to do that so how can the doctor give how can the doctor say that's okay i mean i i can't really right. get past that well you know I, i'm we've had this conversation well ben and i've had this conversation the doctor's morals are kind of kind of weird in this incarnation well this is very and, different well i'm not saying it's the same but i mean it's just it's another example of of and it's not you're right basically she's sanctioning the death of kira i mean she's not i assume she's not happy about it but she dismisses it really she, say, she says it's not a problem so but i i kind of think i kind of think the whole thing is a problem the 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 the, the satirical episodes i mean oxygen is underworld the one that, that, that comes well Okay, if you I mean, you want to go back. Sorry, yeah. not Underworld, um, uh, Sunmakers. 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 Sunmakers is a kind of Robert Holmes script that springs to mind. Um, but, you know, more recently, on the, on the whole kind of question of exploitation that I think this seemed to be going for, Oxygen was extremely sharp. And, and the interesting thing is that it, it felt to me, 
and I think this fits into it, except it fits into it the wrong way around, is that the theme running through this whole season has been about exploring privilege. And we've, you know, we've seen that in the kind of exploitative race in in the ghost monument and the the kind of background that Angstrom was escaping from. And we've seen the kind of uber-privileged Robertson, um, you know, the, the thinly disguised... Uh. Trump clone and 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 we've explored um we, we've explored what it means in episodes like Rosa and Demons of the Punjab and this seemed to be taking another angle on that whole question of what what does it mean to be privileged but it it's a more difficult one because the privilege here is with the doctor and even I mean if you look at the contrast where Ryan is Ryan is interesting in this because he's worked in a warehouse he's done this job and he's felt what what that's like when you're trapped in the work and the doctor and the companions in this story aren't trapped they go in quote undercover albeit you know not for very long and the, and the, the thing about their situation is they know that they can get out of it any time that's why it's different for ryan because he he's he's been there he's been stuck in a job that he thinks that is going to be the rest of his life now he's got away from it he's traveling with the doctor he can afford to step back in it because it's not like he's got a daughter down on the planet who he needs to save up for to pay for her education or whatever he can just be a kind of tourist in in this situation where whereas the previous stories i felt had more impact because in for example rosa ryan in particular really felt the consequences of being in that environment as you and ben discussed Hmm. so i i I, I didn't i didn't well i was just going to you know finish the thought that it's it's a story that seemed to be tackling privilege albeit less effectively it then turns it around at the end and says no actually it the system's not a problem it's fine that the the workers are exploited in this way in fact what do you know we're going to make it 50 percent people powered and we'll have five times as many workers being exploited right yeah i felt when the episode started um that we were going somewhere big I thought this was going to be a a very solid smack in the face to Amazon hmm. and companies like that. I yeah. I thought they were gonna they were gonna go somewhere and they were really gonna drive home uh, a, a point. And it doesn't. It fizzles out, as you say, because it it deviates off to you know actually the people working in the system are decent people. The management are decent people. The the system itself is uh, you know with one minor de- transgression. Uh, trying to do the right thing, <laughs> but what we—I mean, I—we could—we could make the argument that says that the system is trying to protect its profit, therefore it doesn't want to have its delivery people blow up millions of people because you know that would be bad for business. But I think that's much. But, even within the episode, there's no real pretense that it's anything other than that. Yeah, but it's you know it, it, it's trying to stop what we would consider to be the 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 catastrophe that's. The, the human catastrophe that's going to happen. And, you know, it, it turns out it's it's somebody who is actually recognizes the problems with the system, recognizes that the people are exploited, recognizes that this is degrading and demeaning jobs. He should be the sympathetic character. Yeah. He turns out to be the villain because he's he's too fanatical and too far over the other side to to try to work through the system and, and defeat it without murdering millions or thousands or however many robots there were. To go out there and and kill people so it, it yeah it's just all over the place i do have a question though is there something that we should take from this that uh that uh, kira bless her heart <laughs> had a lot of trouble getting started on her job did you catch that she said oh, i yeah, had a lot she... of trouble my first couple of weeks it's like how did you have trouble sticking something badly in bubble wrap it's like are are the people on this planet so incompetent and so inept that <laughs> that's actually a challenge because in which case then are they exploited if this is a challenging job for them but it's not well the question is i i wouldn't you find it challenging to do that for i mean i would find it challenging to do it for half an hour and that's you've got to do it for a whole shift i don't well, feel we don't, like that's what she meant by having trouble with it i, I felt no, like she meant no. you I, know wrapping it up right was tough well, I'm not. I'm not sure that's what I thought she meant because it was in response to a comment Ryan was making about dyspraxia that the 
time, I thought it might be that she was a fellow sufferer or that there was something about her that made it particularly difficult. But obviously, we didn't go there because none of these characters in any way seem to be anything more than entirely superficial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, it's definitely a problematic episode, and I I, I feel like it could have been a, a really solid it's hit, a, but it just wasn't. It's a great idea. In fact, there's a there's a whole bunch of great ideas in it. The the like I say, I think the, the theme fits with the theme of the series. The the satire fits into the tradition of great satirical episodes of of Doctor Who. The um, the deadly bubble wrap is a pretty brilliant idea i think especially as as it's this as it's this kind of irresistible thing that even if you knew even if you had a piece of, if you had a piece of bubble wrap in front of you and you knew that it might blow up it would be really hard still not to pop the bubbles because bubble wraps like that you just can't help yourself funny funny you should mention that because just the day before this episode i was clearing out boxes that we got from from amazon and before I dispose of them, I pop all the bubble wrap so that it, because we're talking about the big stuff now, you know, the big cushy yeah, yeah. pillow ones, because it takes up too much room in the trash if you don't. So it's almost like it's filler material. And um, I had a sheet of it and I walked into to my daughter's room and I said, you know, handed her the bubble wrap and she goes, nah, until I walked out. So, and popped it myself. But, uh, but I did have a oh, comment well. about that. Did not Kira pop the bubble wrap before she even looked at her present what was i don't there a think present? people actually do that well, i thought there was supposed to be well there was, was supposed to be box. but we never saw it i thought it was an empty box i thought I... the only thing in it was the bubble wrap oh okay it's possible i mean she, we didn't see anything in the box but i still kind of assumed there was something in the box but i guess now that you mentioned that it was an intentional death trap <laughs> um yeah maybe you don't need that so um I've, i i have to say i was also very, very mildly spoiled um, before watching this in that I saw someone saying uh, deadly bubble wrap about this episode. So I was absolutely convinced when I started watching it that it was going to be some sort of sequel to Ark in Space. Oh, well. Really? See, I thought it was the Autons. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yes. I, see, was, I was seriously thinking it was going to be the Autons. The, the actual look of the, uh, the look of the Kablam, whatever they, you call it, the Kablam, robots, yeah. the Kablam Man, I thought was kind of halfway between the, the robots they had in Smile back at the start of uh-huh. last year's series and the, the Smilers from The Beast Below. They, you know, they had that kind of uncanny valley weirdness yeah, to them. It could be Autons as well. Well, they could be, but yeah, I, I, the, if, if, I were to, if I were to guess, especially given the comment about robophobia, the inspiration for them, and you could kind of see where this was going was was the whole robots of death thing yeah and that occurred to me too the idea that people are being frightened by the robots but actually it turns out not to be the robots themselves that are the the evil agency at at work which okay could kind of explain where the the plot twist at the end came from even though it made a real dog's breakfast out of the political elements Serious failure of economic understanding, I think, in this episode, because, um, you know, there's the joke with Twirly, the first Kablam delivery robot, about upselling, right? Mm-hmm. But, well, I guess you're buying stuff for yourself, so maybe you would be upselling. But when the doctor received her delivery, there was no attempt at upselling. So, in fact, there was no point in sending the robot. You could have just teleported the package. And if teleport takes energy, then teleporting the package is much cheaper. <laughs> has to be cheaper than teleporting the robot to stand there and say, delivery completed, and then disappear. You make For it, no apparent reason. You make a reasonable so, point that I so, hadn't even thought about. And it would have, it, it, it would have ruined the story. So Right, because, I mean, they had to build up energy to send all those robots so clearly energy is a resource that they have to conserve as part of the the equation of delivering and you know why are they going on about delivering oh there was no shuttle scheduled like you have teleport technology it would have <laughs> why worked, would it you would be have shuttling your without, workers up without te- teleport technology actually i think that's the fix isn't it that some Could be. some somehow that the the kablam man is capable of high-speed travel 
Because because what they what they're going for is a futuristic version of Amazon drones, isn't it? I think so. And and also I think they said it's a teleport pod in the vortex. So what the heck is a teleport pod? They send a pod into the vortex so it can then teleport the robot. I I had some problems with you know, unfortunately there when I'm watching an episode if I'm completely enwrapped, I can watch through an episode and I can forgive things and then and then when I'm not, these things start to bug me. And and that's the teleport shuttle thing started bugging me and then I started thinking it's like, you know, really this is a tatty single galaxy retailer and they can teleport into the TARDIS yeah you know there's barely any races in the universe that can penetrate the TARDIS I I sat down and tried to uh, think of instances where this happened in the series and with one notable exception perhaps with one notable exception we're talking about races that seem far more advanced than than Kerblam yeah we have Sutek manages to get his face in the TARDIS the Guardians the white and black guardian appear to be able to penetrate the the TARDIS. Um, somehow Donna Noble managed it, and that's not even the one case because we have the the Rachnos somehow behind that, which is an ancient and powerful race, and an advert for the greatest show in the galaxy, which that one I'm kind of not buying off on. But I can't <laughs> think of any other instances where, barring something wrong, like the TARDIS defense screens were down or something, that you just somebody can pop up in on in the TARDIS. But but entering entering the vortex is means that you've got to have some form of time travel, and as soon as you've got time travel, you get all sorts Maybe. of other problems. I mean, plenty of plenty. Even of, the time lords can't get into a TARDIS. Well, yeah, true. I I so, I, I would have I would have forgiven all of that anyway, just for the idea that um, they were trying to outrun someone who's trying to deliver something to them. It's like they're being chased by someone who just wants to catch them up and deliver something, which I thought was a reasonably entertaining gag. Yeah, it's it's an... It, yeah. Oh, the other instance of something getting to a TARDIS, and I think the Doctor even had to open the door, was the uh, Gallifreyan distress cube Oh, in the, from in the Doctor's the, wife. Yeah. I if think they I, opened the door to receive that. The Kablam Man could, could have knocked on the door. That would have been yeah. fine. Because when the Doctor Sue saw what it was, she obviously likes the Kablam Man. Well, who doesn't like getting packages? Well, quite. And I think that's part of the satire or or the, the thing. I mean, everybody loves to get a package from Amazon, I think. I mean, who wouldn't? You get a box at the door. Yeah. Not only do I love it, but the pirates who live in my neighborhood like it too because they'll come take them. <laughs> I mean, it's a win for everybody. But uh, is that a problem in the UK? You guys have porch pirates? Uh, no. Well, uh, maybe. I, I don't have porch pirates. Mind you. I've never had anything taken, but... but they, they exist. They don't tend to leave things outside that much. Some, yeah, some delivery people do, but they they ask you to nominate a secure location. Mm. Leave it with a mm. neighbor. I think put it in the shed. I think Amazon is now trying to get people to install door locks that they can open. Yeah, here. I bet they are. So that you can they let people. They, they want they want you to have delivery people. They want you to have Amazon Echo controlled front door locks. And I'm going to tell you right now, I I shop a lot at Amazon. And I love getting an Amazon package. I don't trust them as far as I could throw that moon. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I know that they're exploitive and invasive and and damn it, cheap trumps. And I hate using the word trumps now in this kind of in well, but there's something to be said for it. And, you know, and there's something to be said in the, you know, in the indictment of Amazon that that this is of our own making in many ways, because what we're willing to put up with is these kinds of situations. So, I mean, yeah, yeah there's so much that, they could have done with this episode. Through, yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, that was good. All right. So um, let's see. I, I did feel sorry for Dan. I knew he was dead the moment he showed that pendant to Kaz. Yaz. Yeah. Like, oh, my daughter made that. It's like, oh, they're going to kill Lee Mack. Is, is, He's a dead man. Should I have recognized him? Lee Mack? Yeah, gosh, I would have thought you'd have recognized him over us. Nobody knows him in this country except for a few. He's uh, a comedian, British comedian. Okay. TV series not going out. Uh, always as a co-host on Would I Lie to You with David Mitchell. Okay. I don't, don't know what else he's done. End up comedian at one point. Plays on his northern um, underprivileged uh, youth roots. That's why I think they pair him against David Mitchell. The posh and the oh, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Oh. One of the few people that they showed in the 
you know, coming this season where they showed people who were quote unquote famous, one of the few I recognized. Oh, okay. Going through the lineup. It's like, oh, Lee Mack. Okay. One of the That's, many I didn't know. He, he put him in the category of, um, oh, the name has eluded me. Engineer, murder on the uh, Oh, Frank Skinner. Express. Frank Skinner. Yes. Yeah, I think I've seen less of Frank Skinner, but I have seen Frank Skinner. So, you know, I figured it would be, I didn't know, is it going to be a guy that they drop in because he's a comedian and he's going to be a straight comedic role? Or, and this is the part I do really appreciate about British um, comedians, is that you can actually apparently drop them into, I wouldn't exactly call it a high drama role, but an acting role, and they can actually do it. Not all of them. And make a decent job of it. Not, yeah, probably not all of them, but, you know, as opposed to pretty much none of them here. So, um, you, I, you know, can be surprised at how well they do in those situations. And he was fine in this. He seemed like yeah. a pleasant kind of guy who was working to help. His, you know, I, what they were trying but, to do. They but, were trying to make all the workers seem like really nice people who were just trying to make a living and, and, and do right by their families or themselves. But, they, but, but they, they were literally, he was just like the guy with a, with a daughter who he's working to help. That that was all he was. Yes, and yes, he was. I had. It was almost a cameo. Well, it was a cameo, but then Claudia Jessie's character was like that as well. You know, she was just the girl who never got given a present, and there was no sense of who she was beyond that. Like, what do they do at the end of a shift? Where you know, where do they go and socialize? Who are their mates? There is no who, end of the shift. Who who are no. their who are their mates? Are the question because there's supposed to be ten thousand people in this warehouse. And I can see it's going to be pretty expensive if you need to fill the corridors with extras all the time to give a sense of that. But you can you can do it. I guess it's breaking the rules slightly to tell, not show. But you can do it by having your token representatives of this 10,000 strong workforce mentioning a few other people from time to time. Oh, so-and-so, he's such a laugh. Or so-and-so, she did well, such We mentioned like things. seven people. Hmm. They're all dead, of course. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you never see any other people in the, uh, um, uh, like the pulling uh, yeah. racks, you know, you would, you would kind well, of yeah, expect why to see you, people, why we see more robots have, running around. Why would you only have three racks? The scale of the thing doesn't add up. And this, this is another, comp- I'm just, I'm really having a go at this episode. But the, the, the thing is, it, the ideas, some of the ideas were there, but it just didn't deliver on any level. And in... In the realization of what this warehouse was like, it didn't hang together. And I can understand that some of these things are budgetary constraints, but you have to believe that all the locations that they randomly shoot bits of this warehouse complex in actually are supposed to all be underneath the same roof. And it doesn't feel like that. It really doesn't. Because No, that's true. And and the car park they used at the end was a bit was a bit much. I assume that the, the that you the, mean right they... at the bottom level. Yeah, and suddenly there, the warehouse is made out of breeze blocks because they'd have been yeah. better off shooting that on a soundstage. But yeah, I agree. But the, um, I mean, the, there was there was that. But then, if you look at the the scale of the of the conveyor belt bit, you know, that was obviously just a straight Toy Story two knockoff. That that gives you a sense of the the enormous size of this complex. So why on earth would anywhere in the in the complex you have three packing stations on their own surely you'd have 300 packing stations you know all the shoots would come down together and you'd have rows and rows of workers in a place where they could all be supervised together and should we perhaps think that there are in fact uh 300 and that 297 of them are automated no but no because I mean, no, because you've got, you got 10,000 workers here. I'm thinking 300 would be not even 10% of the packing shoots. It would be like there would be 10 sets of 300. I mean, these, these guys, they're not the only ones packing, surely. It can't be that there are only 30 packers working in this galaxy-wide distribution centre. Well, I, I agree. It, the set didn't make it look that way i i just i it does kind of make me feel like these are the token workers you know ten thousand people on an entire moon could still just be a token workforce it is it it absolutely is it's stated that 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 is the case and presumably they're doing the that they're doing the jobs for the equivalent that the whole thing would if it was fully employed humans it would be a hundred thousand fte 
And so, yes, these are the token workforce, but you're still talking about 10,000 people, which is huge by the standards of any Amazon warehouse packing centre that presently exists. And you wouldn't see three lines in there. You wouldn't see 30 lines in there. You'd see a lot more people packing at once. If you think about the pullers... Yeah, you know that's that's where you're going to have most of the people because they're going to all funnel down to the packers. Now, I'm not saying again. I'm not saying three is the right number out of actually zero is probably the right number because of course the job they're doing is irrelevant. But uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's it's a uh, uh, you know another area of satire that they missed or another area of indictment that they just missed to going into is the is the trackers. Yep, I mean that's what they do with Amazon workers. Yep, and. You know, to keep track, to make sure that they're not taking the wrong... They tell them the route to walk to, to pick up the stuff, to put in the cart And that, see, on that, these things. So. We didn't feel the consequences of that. That's what, it, that's what it comes back to, to me. The kind of... Those small things are so oppressive. You don't have to have the threat of being liquidized if you go the wrong way when you're being tracked. It's just that sense of loss of freedom that you know that you're going to get up and the, the, one of the best things in this episode was the kind of kablam hello co-workers good conversation but and it and it's that kind of awful awful pseudo friendly um corporate slapdown that you that you get working in these places where basically yes as soon as soon as you step out of line from doing what is the work of a robot frankly because you know yep. and any kind of human interaction makes you less productive and then that's frowned upon and then that's sh- and then that's shut down and the fact that it's done it in a very friendly way is even more sinister it feels to me yeah and and i think you might be thinking when you're watching this episode based on the way like dan's character says oh they're listening there's no privacy and anything like that you you might i think you're correct uh to be misled that what's going to happen if you get out of line is it going to kill you hmm but the reality is, there is no menace there. They're not going to kill you. They're just going to fire you. If you don't do the job, they're going to send you back to the planet at your own expense, and you won't have a job. But because we know there's a problem, and then we start learning about the people going missing, y- you would be right in thinking that, you know, ooh, sinister robots killing people who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, and it isn't that. You know, it's false. It's a, it's a, it's a red herring. It's it's a red herring, but it, but it's also it kind of it kind of undermines the the it. I think I think what you got to do with with uh, if you're if you're trying to make a point about surveillance, you know the, that that kind of surveillance culture, is you have to answer that kind of persistent and rather tiresome argument of if you've done nothing wrong, you've got nothing to hide, and. To me, the the response to that is is actually no. That's not how privacy works. Privacy privacy matters. Privacy belongs to you. It's it's not it's not up to someone else to decide that your privacy should be invaded, and it infringes on your agency and your and your identity if that happens. And you've somehow got to make that feel real. And if you say actually the reason that these kind of infringements on people's privacy matter is because when they step out of line or they do something that's a mild transgression of the corporate rules they're getting killed it's like Mm -hmm. okay the bad thing here is that they're getting killed it would be all right to be constantly surveilling them and the second they do so much as share a joke with a co-worker or whatever then you slap a warning on them and they you know are a little bit closer to unemployment and destitution mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh let's see i don't know that i have anything else I, I just you know i i just feel like there was such fertile ground here and despite that like i say i enjoyed i enjoyed it for the most part it was you know just kind of kind of fun but you really kind of had to turn turn your brain off and and turn off your expectations of pointed satire um or or something with a deep embodying message that 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 really drives home and makes us all question the nature of capitalism and the world that mm. we live in um but i didn't get that um no and the problem the problem is that pretty much everything alluded to in this episode whether it was to do with th- those kind of um political questions about 
labour or about automation and robots and robots of death and all all that kind of stuff has been done already in Doctor Who and it's been done better. Mm. I mean, the the one Doctor has got to be the best example of um, warehouse automation. The the um, hidden treasures of Genarios. What is it called? You know, oh oh oh! ZX big finish. You gotta you gotta you gotta clear that one up. You gotta for the listeners. That's a big finish. The one so, Doctor. Uh, yes, indeed. A, a, a sort of Christmas Christmas audio Doctor Who. It's absolutely a brilliant example of an entirely automated warehouse in which, yes, indeed, the robots have gone rogue and are killing all the humans. Fabulous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the that's the one with the Turtis, if I'm not mistaken. The the Stardis. Is it? Oh, the Stardis. You're right. Turtis, no, I can I see. I can see why you that. think of it like that because it does have one of the funniest sound effects ever committed to audio <clears throat> in Doctor Who. Yes. Um, so if you want if you want satire on robotic warehouse planets, pick up the One Doctor from Big Finish. Uh, I recommend that one as well. That's that's quite it's quite funny, um, and it it's perfectly suited to Colin Baker's Doctor. Oh yes, because you know it it, it that pomposity really goes with this particular um, type of story. Anyway, we we digress. Um, I I don't have much to say about the companions in this episode. They fulfill the necessary function, um, but n- not not a whole lot actually for them to do. They were mostly tailing around, just listening uh, to the doctor, listening to the other people. Um, but I do want to bring out because you you brought it up, um, Ryan's dyspraxia, mm-hmm. and I know from a comment that that you, you took some issue with our or mine, perhaps specifically questioning of that. Is, attribute being assigned to as in, the character of Ryan. Is this, is this just an inclusion thing? Well, it, you know, it. I have subsequently looked a little bit more into what dyspraxia is, and honestly, every do- companion the Doctor has ever had must have dyspraxia. Um, you know, it explains all those companions tripping on flat ground. It... <laughs> Inability to follow instructions. Uh, it, it's, you know, it, it has its... I'm looking at that going, actually, Ryan may be the perfect companion then. Uh, I under think those, you may be under slightly trivializing the, the condition. Well, I'm not the one trivializing it. Doctor Who is the one trivializing it because Ryan doesn't appear to have actually any of those things. He keeps talking about it. I'm not so good on ladders, but he does fine. I don't, I can't jump off this thing, but he does fine. All of those things, it's just, it, it feels more like it's an excuse for Ryan to have self-doubts, but it doesn't actually seem to manifest itself. And if you're gonna do it, then you should do it right. But you I know, think he hasn't they are doing tripped it over right. flat I, ground yet. I think, think, the kind of demanding that it, that it is a kind of, a, a very, visible overstated form of the condition isn't the right way to do it i think it's important that it is shown in a realistic way and in a way which shows someone managing it and living with it that would be fine do we know if this is a realistic way yeah i think it is from from what i've read and also and also i think the the particular point about inclusion and the importance of representation, which I think is the key thing here, is that is that there are dyspraxics who are who are glad to see themselves represented, and there's also an awareness thing because there's the fact that you have now gone and had a look at what dyspraxia is, and I bet a whole bunch of people watching it have done very much the same thing, and it's something that or wouldn't... they watch the show and they take his representation of how it is and go, oh, so basically nothing he can't ride a bike that's the only thing we've seen that he can't actually do or that apart from self-doubt in the course of this episode or in the course of the series and so if if you aren't one of those people who's going to go do a little research which i wish more people did but i think the sum total of the internet proves that that's not what people do they take stuff at face value and they go on hence donald trump hence brexit Hex, hence all sorts of horrific things that have happened uh, over the years, is that people don't actually do any study on it. They take it at face value, and in which case, then I, y- you, would, you, would, I, you would be right, in my opinion, to dismiss dyspraxia as being a non-issue. 
based on Ryan's activities so far. I don't think so. And further, you wouldn't know what they are based on what we've seen in the show. The only thing we've got so far is it's apparently a lack of balance and not good with ladders. And and, and, and that's not what that's not, not what it not, is. It's coordination, and we've seen right. that. Have we? Yeah. Well, there's the ladders that you mentioned, but there's also the the bike riding at the beginning. The bike riding at the beginning is really where it. You know, it's like, here it is. He's trouble riding a bike, but he's going to keep trying. Good on you. But you know, the the ladders. I don't do well with ladders. I don't do well with ladders. I hate heights. Sure. It, it didn't. It didn't so come. Do, it doesn't so, come off as like so I might get I. halfway up that ladder and fall because I you know put discoordinate but i i i don't know i i, I it doesn't do it does, it's not it's like, not a huge stretch of the imagination to think if you have a coordination issue and you're climbing a ladder that not only is the is the task going to be much more difficult because you're climbing a ladder but also the the dangers are pretty obvious falling off a bike is bad enough falling off a ladder or a crane you know it, that's going to be a lot worse well i agree that it would be um I just so I don't I don't I don't I don't know I don't know what more about that needs to be spelled out other than that you'd say well we should have him fall off the ladder but I don't think we should I don't think you know every every time he does something that requires coordination he should fail at doing it because that would be an even worse message to be sending out it really would is it all right let's let's try a different approach because you did in your comment mention um, the deaf actress who was. Um, can't remember which episode it was. Uh, before the flood and under the lake, which I thought worked extremely well. Um, what worked well? Just that uh, that situation seemed to be treated uh, realistically. Um, there was, you know, there was issue associated with it. Uh, we had a character who was competent and capable and had, a, you know, made their way in life. Yeah. All all fine and. And it was, and as I recall, there was an issue at one point where she couldn't hear something during the course of the story, which was a problem. Uh, And the actress herself was uh, hearing impaired. Yes. At at the point, which from the argument of inclusivity, you are, you are not excluding actors and actresses of, with hearing impairment from the profession. Indeed. From, you know, being seen. So, I mean, that's better than a, uh, what's the word for a person who can hear? What are they, do you know what I mean? They call they call non-blind people sighted people. Yeah, is hearing, there a word hear, for that? Hearing for, people, hearing people. Okay, heared, heared people who can hear. Uh, in in the the character, and we have seen in some places people who have uh, uh, missing limbs or paraplegic uh, in in roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely positively positive situation. Um, always seems to be better when they bring in an actor who has those attributes as opposed to having someone play it at least in terms of in terms of representation so yeah and one of Ryan, I mean one of the important things for for some of those things like if you're a, a deaf actor for example it may be that you're never going to be able to convincingly play a hearing person but the point is you have someone in a role that isn't a role for a deaf person it's just a role and you don't assume that it is a role for a hearing person or a deaf person i mean some some are obviously written one way or the other but many roles maybe with minor adjustments could be suited and and you know i think that that goes for no, for a number of other things that you have mentioned because otherwise as you say if you're a deaf actor the the number of roles that are actually open to you is basically minuscule Right. I would, it would, you know, from a, from a cold, hard logistical standpoint, if you're a producer or casting director, it makes far more sense not to, to do that, to to hire someone who has the actual, call it an impairment, um, because it's, will be easier to work with. It would be easier to work with an actor who could hear on set. And so it would make sense from the dollars. I, I'll, I'll make I'll make the argument that probably would be just similarly it would be probably easier to work with somebody who's you know not confined to a wheelchair on on a movie set because it's not exactly the most uh, uncluttered environment in the world. I can see how you would be going well. We do it this way, we do it that way. But and and someone with dyspraxia, which if I read correctly, could even 
be an issue. Not It's not just with coordination. There is an issue with following directions mm-hmm. and short-term memory problems, which I could see is a real problem for an actor. Yes. Right? So, I, you know, whether or not you could actually, I, I don't know, um, hire an actor that, that, that position. So mm-hmm. I don't I assume that, that the actor who plays Ryan does not... Um, does not actually have the condition. I have not looked that up. Um, just, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm going to stick with it. I don't feel like we're getting, I, I feel like we're being told something about Ryan and it's being, it's a, it's not being shown. It's being told and not shown. And I, you know, I, and you said I'm making light of it, but I'm not making light of it. We have had companions who to advance the plot, they have to trip over the stupidest of situations. And that's why it's important okay. that you don't do that here, because then it'll be this is this but, is the dyspraxia. Well, it's okay for a perfectly coordinated person to do that to advance a story, but it's no, it's, but not. it's not if it actually has a reason it, to do it. No, because there, if no, what we're saying, what we're saying is something that something that happens that there isn't there there isn't there isn't a reason to do it. What you're saying is this is something that is a, is a thing that drives the plot forward, and so then the reason you've got a dyspraxic is to fit in with this plot element. And the 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 problem well, with it is if it isn't if it isn't a realistic, and I'm I'm not the best person to comment on this because I don't know I the I know next to nothing about the condition, but if it's if it's in order to fulfil a a kind of popular perception of what dyspraxia is like rather than what it is actually like then you are just perpetuating something that is completely unhelpful okay i would take it i would take it if if we had evidence that it was conveying an accurate representation because then we would be doing a service to understanding but again i'm just not getting it out of ryan if there's if if he has been capable of doing everything that has been put before him with apart from riding a bike in the first. And apparently that's a thing they've been trying a lot. And he's just not able to do that. He's been able to do everything along the way. And the only thing we get towards that being a problem is him saying it in advance. I'm not very good with this. I don't think I can do that. I can do this. <sighs> is that true or is that his self-doubt? Because he seems to be capable of doing it. Is, is, is self-doubt the... Yeah, I see, I see, yeah, I see what you're, you're getting at. I don't want Ryan to have to trip. I don't want Ryan to have to be able to do. But it is a condition that that he has, and it I don't like to use the word makes him different, but it it does present a different set of conditions on what we would expect, and that's why I'm you know saying when when Sarah Jane runs across a field and she trips, we all go oh for crying out loud! How but, can you that- trip? I mean she's not in like six inch heels or something, and 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 then you know the the story mess. And I'm not saying that I want them to do that to Ryan. But if you were in a situation where when he grabbed that rope, the gun, and ran out there full speed, and like oh I play whatever game it was, Full Metal Jacket or yeah I can't remember with the, the guns and running around, he seemed pretty damn coordinated to me. I guess incompetent, but in uh, you I, know, get, I guess I see the point that I see the point that you're making, which is if I've if I've understood it that we don't necessarily know whether his self-doubt is justified other than what we saw in the pretty much in the first episode which which i i, I agree i think that is an important point the the, the point i'm making is that sarah having sarah jane run across a field and then trip because it's, it's some key plot device and so put, putting ryan in situations where the dyspraxia is something that is a a plot element and everyone goes oh you know ryan's fallen over again and now He's in trouble, and the monster's about to catch up with him, or whatever. That that seems to me problematic. Whereas if if what we were seeing was Ryan saying, "Look, I have this problem," and then because we've we've seen how he deals with it, which is basically he does it anyway, and he keeps persisting, and he persists and does fail and gets up again and pers- and persists again. As long as that's, I, I I can see what you're saying that 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 might be an important thing. To show, yeah, yeah. I don't. As I don't, long as it, as long want, as it's not something that that has to be part of the kind of plot every week. I don't want him to trip to advance the plot. That that, that, that that's definitely not what I mean. I'm just I'm. But but, I, but that's what. So, Sarah okay, Jane, let me let me let me put it to you this way. Then. Let me let me put it to you this way. Then one of the things that I 
have been very surprised with, pleased with, maybe surprised is the wrong word, pleased with, is that the the broadening of the writer's pool that they are using mm-hmm. is bringing us a, a, a fresh perspective. I may or may not well, like bit. the story. I mean, we got, we got but five we are seeing, in a row. We, we've got... Well, or Chibnall's was co-written, but we're we are seeing uh, we are seeing a different face on the stories that we're getting. Demons of the Punjab, Rosa. Those are those are yes, absolutely. Prime because we've ne- we've never okay. had a black writer or an Asian writer on the show before, and so. they are writing what they know. They are writing what 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 is germane to them. That is that is the that is the fundamental argument in favor of diversifying your writing base is well, so that well, you get ha- more on, perspectives I, i'm not i'm not dis- i'm not disagreeing with that. i'm not disagreeing with that but you, but i'd be very cautious about saying that's what they're there for that you know we it it's a black issue episode we're going to get a black writer on it or whatever rather than saying it's an episode no. about an amazon warehouse in space and a black writer could write no, that because that's do what doctor that who hasn't done i i do think that that there's a little it might be a little heavy-handed in this case that we get a black writer and suddenly they write about Rosa Parks and we get an Asian writer and they write about Pakistan. That 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 actually may be a little on the heavy-handed side. But no, it's, it is it is the lens which these people look through when they are telling a story that, that expands the horizons of the people who are watching the program. It didn't have to be about those things, but I think it... it it's it is yeah. pleasing I, I, to see that change. So here's here's my point on it. Uh, I'm a white guy. I could write about I could write about racism all day long. Well, I couldn't, but I could you know I could try. <laughs> but I will never have that perspective because indeed I cannot have that perspective. And so that is why it it is important to hear these voices. So is our writer dyspraxic, or is this a white guy deciding what that should be like and that's what it feels like it we're we're not seeing we're not seeing a realistic portrayal through the eyes of someone who really knows what this means we're seeing that's where i'm going with that i have not seen any dyspraxics writing about this in that way literally every 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 comment that i've seen about it has been and I guess maybe it's coming from low expectations. I don't know, but every comment has been: "This is really un- it, this is unusual and welcome to see it represented at all on screen, and that it's a good representation." I get, I get, I, I, get, I, get, I guess the caveat is the, the most of the comments I saw were immediately after the woman who fell to earth when he actually was where it, where where role. it was dealt with uh, maybe in a more explicit way. Um, it would be yes, it would be interesting. I don't know whether anyone has has written anything, or any of our listeners can direct us to anything um, by anyone who suffers from dyspraxia, giving a kind of longer view of the the Ryan arc so far. And I do think that that uh, you know I'm I'm more than willing to admit it. Um, never heard of it prior to the woman who fell to earth. I I, Not once I ever. certainly knew very little about it. Um, I know very slightly more about it now, but. Still, not that much, but I. In terms I, of raising I've, I've, awareness, it's absolutely done that because yeah, I'm much much better informed than I was. So I guess that that can't be a bad thing, but it it it's still you know it's a data point of one. We have Ryan, yeah, and I don't know whether well what what obviously the next thing is more representation of dyspraxics on the telly, but we might have to wait a while. It's it's not like we've seen a sudden proliferation of death character death characters following on from under the lake i read i think in wikipedia that it's like three to six percent of the population that D- dyspraxia or, believe or dyspraxia really wow i swear that's what i saw it's like how could we have not heard of that if three out of every hundred people have well, got that and it doesn't how, go away how would how would you know i mean that's well that's, that's an the obvious question. question with this one in in the sense that if we are to take this as a realistic portrayal that Ryan isn't tripping over every two seconds and that plenty of people who don't have dyspraxia are not necessarily perfectly coordinated themselves, you've got to know someone quite well and and got to see them doing quite challenging tasks and spot a pattern of something in order to even suspect it unless they actually tell you. No one is, well, 
it's unlikely people are going to go around announcing it to complete strangers when they first meet them. So it would have to be someone you knew quite well, I guess. Still, I, I think I've met and know quite well a hundred people in the world over the years. Not all at once, but uh, I don't think I could handle that. But I, I don't know. I, I, again, it just... It raises questions. It does, it but it, you know, if it's three to six percent, certainly not three to six percent of uh, characters in television dramas. So there's there's room for growth. Unless, of course, we can't tell because it doesn't actually. Yes, fair point. Have any visible impairment? Therefore, maybe all of them are on television. We just don't real. James Bond may be dyspraxic for all we know. Maybe he just he doesn't talk about it. Although, although, <laughs> if it's if it's a character on television, we. Often, depending on the particular character and the role they play in the drama, we often know quite a lot about their inner life. So if it's an important part of their inner life and identity, we're likely to know about it. That's why we know about Ryan. Whereas, well, I was was going to say maybe some of the incidental characters in the episodes don't know about it. But actually, Ryan being quite open, he tends to tell people about it within five minutes of meeting them. So that's not the best example. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else about this uh, episode or? Nope. Just disappointment. Just disappointment. Um, um, the next week is what? The witch finders, witch killers, witch hunters, I, witch, witch, witch people. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what it's called, but it's definitely about witches. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, it's not the witch smellers. Um, but I, I have high yeah, hopes. Like the, the historicals are tended to be quite good. And every every uh, single well, time I see a next time trailer, I'm thinking this one's going to be a pure historical. Yeah, see, I have my, I have my, I don't know how far up you are on the on the the listening, but so far the historicals have bugged me for exactly the reasons as I read your reviews that that they keep throwing in this sci-fi little, particularly in the oh. demons of the Punjab, which is just completely pointless. I just long, I long for a pure historical. It's it's the albatross that the show has hung around its neck. This sense it has that it has to have some sci-fi element in order to deliver deliver what the audience expects. That absolutely that should be enough. And the show has had the confidence to do some extraordinary kinds of stories in this season that it's really you know never never done anything like before. And so you know why. Why could it not have the confidence to do something that, okay, it hasn't done since 1982, but still it has done and done well in the past. And so we know it's possible and we know that they could do it. It it could be good. They could do it and I wouldn't have any problem with them doing it. Um, I would be delighted. You know, it it would, I I think my main, you know, if you look back at the old historicals, there's a certain element of we're caught up in events. How do we escape? Yeah, like the Reign of Terror. And get back to the TARDIS. Great Reign of Terror, the Aztecs, the the um, uh, the tribe of Gum. Pretty much anyone I can think of. The Romans. They're they're, yep. they're always just you know that's unfortunately that's part of the premise of the show. Is you get in the TARDIS in those days and you left and then that was gone. So all you had to do is to get back to the TARDIS. I would be fine with that, um, but I can see how it could get a little repetitive if they couldn't come up with anything more clever than. We got separated from the TARDIS. Marcus Marco Polo. There's another one. Uh, we got separated from the <laughs> oh, TARDIS, yes. uh, and we just we have to we have to navigate this historical adventure until we get back to the TARDIS, so we can get out of here. No, um, no, no. I could not disagree more with that. I think that the what feels repetitive to me is the is the trying to trying to come up with some way of sticking alien monsters into the formula that actually feels fresh. It it. It really doesn't anymore, oh, I, and I agree with that the, too. The, the the kinds of the kinds of storytelling where actually being separated from the TARDIS is a is a genuine a genuine problem, a genuine threat that you can't just be you know because if you are in ancient China or whatever, you can't just hail a bus or you know to 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 cross distances and to cross really hostile, unfriendly landscapes would be incredibly challenging or to or to be an environment you know we were seeing it in in uh, 1956 montgomery alabama the, the the kind of thing where actually if you've got black skin then doing anything at all is a real real challenge and yeah so 
to explore some of those kinds of environments, but on Earth, in Earth's history, that that seems to me vastly more uh, of a of a, a, a kind of well to be to be. I was going to say a well to be mined, but that's rather mixing my metaphors. But you know what I'm saying? It's 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 much more fertile ground than what they're trying to do at the present, sticking rather incongruous I, alien monsters into situations where it only detracts from the story that they're telling. I completely agree. It's detracting from the story. It's not, it's not doing the story justice. I, I only wish that they could do more, um, even the, the science fiction stories that, Right? So if you have this, the, the problem, what I was kind of getting at was the historicals, they can't change history, right? So it's really a question of extracting themselves. But when you go to the future, they have to solve the big bad, whatever it is. It, it, it's, it's like they've set up this dichotomy of the two different kinds of storytelling. And, it's, and I think that's, they're doing a disservice to the format when they could be a lot more homogenous there. They just have to be a little bit yeah. more clever with the historical ones. But you know, but, but they can't but, kill Robespierre. But yeah, know. well, yes. Oh, yeah. Where, I do, where, I, where where the, where they are actually with the with the kind of famous historical figures, and there are there are facts that we know. But they they can also create the kind of the minor characters who who populate these historical periods and and explore their dramas and those are things that we don't know the outcomes of and so whether it there is real jeopardy and i th- i think the reason i have the optimism about this is because this series seems to have been quite good at focusing in on smaller scale drama and for me episodes like the ghost monument are a great example of where you can do a future episode where it's not about a big changing the course of future history type scenario it's literally another one of it's i mean literally just getting back to the tardis the very thing you were talking about and it works yeah yeah i i i'm and i'm like i said, I'm, I'm fine with the smaller scale stories i i'm i'm if if nothing else that i'm kind of enjoying i really detest the oh the daleks are gonna destroy all of reality yeah like okay that's just stupid yeah and you, you said know, it we don't we don't need it. You know, we didn't need James Bond saving the planet from total destruction every time. That's why Moonraker is one of the worst films. <laughs> well, I'm not going to go along with that one. But, <laughs> but you know, they, they just keep having to raise... The, the writers feel they have to keep raising the stakes. And I don't think that that's necessarily what you have to do. That, that's, a, that's an attitude, a very jaded attitude about, about the audience. I want to see them overcome adversity. It, they don't have to save the planet. They have to save whoever. I, I'm fine oh, with them saving ten people's lives. It doesn't have to be ten or billion one. people's lives. You know, or saving someone's it, job that would do. or saving someone's job would be or, okay. And I do. Or the did remind me of one thing before we before we go on or before we sign off. What did you think of the fact that this is first episode where the villain gets his own comeuppance, hoist by his own petard? Oh yes. Yeah, well, actually, you, you know, I was going to mention that because it's not just that. There's, there's actually quite a high body count in this for this series. And I, I have really, really appreciated the kinds of stories where we have nasty characters like Epso or even Robertson, who in, in an RTD episode of Doctor Who, it'd be like, that bad person is going to die, right? And and we're supposed to feel good about that because they're a slightly nasty person, and it's a, it's a kind of writerly form of um, extrajudicial execution uh-huh. that is somehow acceptable. So I liked the fact that this series was willing to not go there, and it was and it was it was taking characters who were nasty and presenting them as nasty, but not not kind of providing this false sense of closure by either having a moment of redemption or by doing away with them. Another problem with this episode, that's exactly what it does. Yeah. For no reason. And I'm I'm thinking the doctor probably could have saved him. Of course. And he could have Teleporting. saved himself. Why didn't he? Yeah. So it, 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 it is the outlier in this series. Yeah. Although I, I will say I kind of I kind of have a, a sort of deep seated appreciation of extrajudicial execution for baddies. But, <laughs> but that's what you're supposed that, to have. That's a very James Bond fan 
attitude because that's kind of the whole point. They're supposed to die at the end. Um, but, you know, the Doctor is not James Bond. And... Yes. and and James Bond, when it comes down to it, is an assassin. And the, yep. the, the idea that we should somehow all be aspiring to be James Bond is a load of nonsense. Yep. He, is, he is not a nice person. We might be glad that there are people like that out there doing the bad things so that the even worse things don't happen. But we kind of wish that he wasn't necessary in the first place. And we certainly don't want everyone to be like James Bond. No, 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 no. All right, well, that's all I've got this time for sure. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm sure enough to say we're going to sign it out unless you got anything else you want to bring No, I've, I've, I'm definitely done this time. All right. Then uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, you're going to be back next time for the Witch Finders. <laughs> the Witch People, the Witch, witch, witch episode. I don't know. Wh- wh- so, the Witchever. The Witchever. The Witchever episode. And... Uh, so thank you. And pleasure as always. We listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Jobs. On the other hand, what is automation doing? It's doing the work for us that... <laughs> You're creating an entire set of Foley sound effects here. Um, just ignore the sound of tea being poured. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, I'll leave it in. (laughs) Yeah.